mystery tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 52nd episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we're talking about the Cecil Hotel. And Denise, if ever there was a show that makes people want to perhaps keep the lights on while you're listening, this one is probably it. I am very sure this one is probably it. And so we will let them know why in a moment. Very, very creepy location. And wow, what a history this place has. But before we get into that, we want to make sure you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. It's got everything you could possibly want to know about the show, where you can find us on social media. We've got our Emporium over there, and we've added some new gear to the store. And coffee mugs for traveling. Yes. You can take us in your car with you. Travel coffee mugs. And we threw in our little slogan there, you'd be more interesting if you were dead. Absolutely. And it's not only just the slogan, but since before we, we tweaked it a little bit because before it was already like copyrighted or whatever, but it's on there with the History Goes Bump logo, which makes it even more awesome. (laughs) If we do say so ourselves, you can subscribe to the newsletter at the website. You can also donate to the show. We appreciate anybody out there who wants to uh, help financially help the show, just keeps things running for us. Denise, if people want to contact the show, how can they do that? They're going to do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And we do have three new members of the Spooktacular crew that we'd like to welcome. So first we'd like to welcome Jesse. Hello, Jesse. Hey, Jesse. Thanks for joining. And then we also have May. Hello, May. Listen to her. Hello, May. <laughs> Hello, May. And... Hey, that's a cool name. It's like Mae West. Absolutely. Come up and see me sometime. (laughs) Here goes Diane with accents again. You get them, girl. And last but not least, we'd also like to welcome Rachel. Hello, Rachel, and thank you for correcting us about how your name is supposed to go. Absolutely. Otherwise, we would have been calling you something else, but that's okay. And she hails from New South Wales, which is where our last show is from as well. The Monte Cristo Homestead. If you guys didn't check that out, you definitely have to. We had a great time with Freya on that one. And all three of these ladies let us know that they've had some haunting experiences of their own. So we're looking forward to hearing more details on that so that we can share them with the rest of you. And again, if any of you have had experiences, please share them with us so that we can share your experiences as well. And we want to thank Laura for asking us for some advice. She's going to be down in the Fort Lauderdale area. And so she wanted to know, what what are some things I can check out there in regards to ghost tours? We've never done anything down in Fort Lauderdale, but we did give her a couple of suggestions. So we're looking forward to hearing back from her about how those went. And just saying, we've added a couple suggestions to our must-do list. Exactly. Now I want to check out some stuff. One of them is a river ghost tour. And that's the one I really want to check out because anything to do with the water, I'm there. 
Absolutely. Especially at night. Ooh, boys, that make it creepy. And Laura also suggested a location in Ohio. So that'll be coming up here pretty soon, along with uh, Jesse suggested a location in Charleston. So, Ooh, Charleston, we want to go there for sure. We also got three new five-star reviews over at iTunes. So we want to thank you guys. They heeded my begging, I guess, to these. <laughs> As I was like, please, 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 we need reviews. So we want to thank you guys for doing that. Yeah, we definitely really appreciate those reviews coming in because it bumps us further up and we get more listeners, more people find us. And then our little spectacular crew and History Goes Bump crew can start uh, growing because we really like having you all and the relationships we've been building. So again, thank you for helping bump us up towards the top. One of those five-star reviews came from Patrick over at the Big Seance Podcast. If you guys haven't checked that out, you should. He's got some great shows there. I already let him know, Denise, that my favorite show he did was on cemetery photography, which I think you should listen to because you love doing photography, especially in the cemeteries. Yes, and I will definitely be doing that because I love taking pictures, whether it's of the living or trying to capture it of the non-living. And I've already contacted Patrick and said, hey, it'd be kind of cool to have you on the show. And he is just returning from a trip to New Orleans where he went to the Myrtle's Plantation. So I have a feeling we will be talking about that with him here on the show in the future. Do I hear another camping trip coming up? New Orleans, here Uh, we come. I know. I am like (laughs) dying to go there. So it will be happening. (laughs) Literally dying to go there. Uh, and I didn't even really mean it that way. Anyway, Patrick said, I love finding new fellow para-nerds. And indeed, that is what we are. Don't do traveling. These ladies will do it for you. Follow along and hear the well-researched stories of ghosts and legends. Diane and Denise totally rock. P.S. Be sure to check out the bloopers. I'm sure you're glad he pointed that out, Denise. Oh, yeah, since somehow it's all my bloopers that end up there and Diane's mysteriously get deleted. <laughs> hey, but Freya joined in the fun. I know. So me and Freya, but Diane, <laughs> oh, no, she wouldn't show up there. Uh, I do have a few of mine, but I just I guess I don't bloop as much. <laughs> no, you hit delete more often. Let me let you all know it does help having the power of the editing button. <laughs> We also got one from Brian. The hosts are top-notch, highly entertaining podcast. It should be number one in the listings. Thank you, Brian. We appreciate that. Thank you, Brian. And, boy, I'm not sure about how to say this username, but it looks like Cianos. Great show. This is a great show. I love the combination of history and spooky ghost stories. Keep up the great work. It's great for a long car ride or while you work. So some of you could whistle while you work, but we'd rather you listen to spookies while you work. Exactly. No whistling. Well, why don't we tell everybody about the Cecil Hotel? Sounds good. If you would like to support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump. Or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation. Click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com. Nine ski hikers were hiking and camping in the Ural Mountains in 1959 when a very weird thing happened. All nine hikers were found dead in various locations and in various states of undress. The details of the story make what happened on Dilatov Pass so many decades ago even stranger. Igor Dilatov, for whom the pass has been named, was the leader of the group. 
The group included many graduate students from the Urals Polytechnical Institute. When the hikers did not return when they were expected, a search party was sent out and they made the unusual discoveries. The hikers had set up a large tent to share which would protect them against the cold and snowy weather. The back side of the tent had been cut with a large knife from the inside as if the hikers had to make a quick escape and could not leave from the front of the tent. The tent was left in a state that made it appear that the hikers had been eating dinner before fleeing. This might explain why most were not dressed in the proper clothing and had no shoes when their bodies were found. The hikers appeared to have split into groups. Two were found dead next to the remnants of a fire wearing only their underwear. Three other hikers were found closer to the tent in such a way that it is assumed they were trying to return to camp. The other four hikers were found in a ravine. The bodies appeared to be unharmed, but autopsies revealed that many of the bodies had suffered internal injuries. One corpse was missing its tongue. All of the bodies revealed radiation exposure. Many theories have abounded through the years. Was there a weather event or an avalanche that caused the group to flee? Did a wild animal or pack of wild animals scatter the group? Did a UFO and aliens visit the group? A military operation was occurring nearby, and some wonder if these young people got caught up in that. A more recent and interesting theory hypothesizes that an infrasound anomaly caused a repetitive wind event leading to erratic behavior from the group. The sound waves from this anomaly could have made the hikers crazy for a moment in time. The deaths were ruled as caused by exposure and internal injuries, which some believe occurred due to falls. What really happened, we'll never know, and the whole incident certainly is odd. Are you afraid of the dark? This day in history. On this day, June 24th in 1817, coffee is planted in Kona, Hawaii for the first time. Hawaii is the only state in the Union that grows coffee. The first plants were installed by Don Francisco de Paula Marin, who was the Spanish advisor to King Kamehameha I. These first plants did not fare well. Chief Boki of Oahu decided to give it another try in 1825 and brought coffee plants in from Brazil. The plants flourished and soon coffee was planted on other islands. Coffee returned to Kona in 1828 when a missionary named Samuel Ruggles planted a coffee tree. Today, Kona coffee is considered a gourmet coffee sold throughout the world. It is very expensive in its pure form, so most Kona coffee is sold as a blend to make it cheaper. Hawaii boasts 700 coffee farms and several unique varieties are produced. Hey, this is Christopher. And this is Joe. From the Curioso Podcast. And here at the Curioso, when we want to listen to ghost tours for the theater of the mind, we listen to the History Goes Bump Podcast. The Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles is not a place where most people would want to rent a room. That might be why the Cecil Hotel was reported closed, but do not be fooled. The hotel just changed its name to stay on Main, 
and advertises itself as a hostel. You know, I don't know if I want to call myself a hostel when we're talking about curses and ghostly stuff because we saw that movie. <laughs> and and I wouldn't want to be in a hostel. <laughs> Not only is it a budget hotel frequented by transients, but it has a creepy and murderous past that has caused it to be a source of numerous tales of haunting experiences. This infamous history includes suicides, disappearances, murders, and serial killers. The hotel made news in 2013 when the funny tasting water coming out of the faucets was linked to a dead body in the water tower. Ew, gross. Yeah. A disturbing video related to this death has gone viral. You might want to turn on the lights for this episode as we explore the history and hauntings of the Cecil Hotel. The Cecil Hotel is located at 640 South Main Street in downtown Los Angeles, California. It was built in 1924 in the Art Deco style and originally had 700 rooms and was known as Hotel Cecil. It was built by Hotelier William Banks Hanner. The hotel was large and cost $1 million to complete. Hanner put his brother Paul in charge of managing the hotel. The hotel was meant to be a place of comfort for business travelers. The lobby was beautiful with stained glass and marble tiled floors. The Great Depression hit hard and before long the Cecil Hotel became a flop house. It also did not help that the area where the Cecil was built was well on its way to becoming Skid Row. Transients became the main tenants, and to this day, the hotel is advertised as a low-budget option. New owners refurbished part of the hotel in 2007. Reviews were mixed, but it seems to be your standard hostel for European travelers, with some of the now 600 rooms set aside for long-term living. Standard hostel, except for its bloody history that has earned it a reputation. Yeah, so Denise, it seems that these owners who came in in 2007 thought, well, let's try to make something of this. Because when you walk in, it has a beautiful lobby and it looks really nice. It's got antique chandeliers and it just looks really beautiful. And I think they were like, you know, it has potential. So I think they've been trying to pull it out of this muck that it's stuck in. And that's part of the reason why the name changes happened as well. The problem is, as we know, when you have something that just has this dark energy inside, you just can't slap paint on it. Well, and if it's not in a better part of Los Angeles, as we know from experience, you definitely (laughs) want a little bit of a higher level hotel as well, because it's just it's creepy staying in any hotel that would be considered a budget hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Exactly. And this is near the Staples Center. So I think they just thought because of its location, they could really pull people in. And I think this is why they market it to European travelers who don't know better or who are more prone to say, hey, I don't mind sharing a bathroom with multiple people on a floor. We used to stay at Super 8 motels years ago. We don't do it as much now. Best Westerns are hotel of choice. But with Super 8s, you'd find that it could be hit or miss. But generally speaking, they were pretty nice places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the one we stayed at in Hollywood, it looked like the room that we stayed in was one of those rooms you can rent by the hour kind of things. I mean, down to cigarette burns on the comforter and <laughs> what looked like it could maybe possibly be a bullet hole. We were like going, and it didn't help that when we checked in, the electricity wasn't working. So we're trying to bump up the stairwell. Oh 
<laughs> with no lights, no elevator, in the dark, into this thing with flashlights. So we're like, alrighty then. So no offense to, to any owners of that, but that was quite the experience of our travels to the City of Angels. Yeah, so we, we got a feel for staying in Hollywood. It reminded me of staying in Washington, D.C., Denise. This is also a city that you do not want to stay. I don't think you want to really stay at any hotel in Washington, D.C. I don't think any big city you want to stay too much, like, right in the city. That's why when... Unless it's a really fancy place, but then you're talking expensive. Very expensive. But that's why when we went to Chicago, you wondered why I looked for a state park that was, like, an hour and a half away. <laughs> Because I didn't, same thing, I didn't want to stay right on the outskirts of a big city. Yeah, so I wouldn't want to know the history of the place we stayed at in Hollywood. Hopefully it's not anything similar to the Cecil. Maybe it was the Cecil. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I know it wasn't that because this is in Los Angeles, not Hollywood. But the Cecil Hotel was home for not just one, Denise, but two serial killers. Was home to them, guys, not not visiting was home. That was where they lived. As in, maybe I killed people here, and definitely in one case, I take off the bloody clothes and throw them in the dumpster before I went up to my room. The Night Stalker, have you ever heard of him, Denise? I have. That's Richard Ramirez. He lived in a top floor room, and this hotel has 14 floors, so he probably was up there on the 14th floor, Denise. For people who don't know who the Night Stalker was, he robbed, raped, and killed in Los Angeles from June of 1984 to August of 1985. He used all types of weapons from knives to guns to hammers to commit his crimes. He claimed his crimes were because of the devil. He was an avowed Satanist. He was sentenced to death in 13 murders, but he probably committed more than that. He died of lymphoma while he was in prison in 2013, which I think is more befitting this character because I'm assuming that was a more painful slow death. Absolutely. Jack Unterweger was an Austrian who murdered three prostitutes in 1991 while staying at the Cecil Hotel. The prostitutes came to his room there, so I'm thinking the murders probably took place in his room. He had already killed several people in Austria by this time. The insane part of the Unterweger story, Denise, is that in Austria, even though he'd been arrested for multiple murders, which here in America should probably keep you behind bars for the rest of your life, they decided he was rehabilitated. So, hey, look, he's a success story. We're going to put him out there. And a magazine hired him to be a crime writer for them. I guess he's an expert, right? I guess so. <laughs> and they send him to Los Angeles to cover crime there. Well, he was intrigued by the Night Stalker, which maybe that's why he ended up staying at the same place. And he claimed that his murders were an homage to the other serial killer. So some rehabilitation there. Ay, ay, ay. The deaths at the Cecil Hotel have been numerous. Murders occurred in the 20s and the 30s, even before the hotel started its decline. It is claimed that the Black Dahlia was seen hanging around at the bar in the Cecil before she disappeared in 1947. A woman named Goldie Osgood had worked as a telephone operator. She called the Cecil Hotel home. She was known for feeding the pigeons in Pershing Square, so people nicknamed her Pigeon Goldie. On June 4, 1964, Goldie was discovered dead in her hotel room by a man delivering phone books. She had been raped, stabbed, and strangled. The room was torn apart. A short time later, a 29-year-old male was found in Pershing Square with bloodstains on his clothes. His name was Jacques B. Ellinger, and he was arrested. 
He could not be tied to the murder, and so the police had to let him go. No one was ever prosecuted for Goldie's death. The suicides began in the 1950s. Helen Gurney, who had registered at the hotel as Margaret Brown, a la Molly Brown, (laughs) kind of. (laughs) Oh, that goes back to an old episode as well. Ah, Makes me wonder if that's why she chose that name. Stepped out from her seventh floor window and crashed down onto the hotel's marquee, dying instantly on October 22nd, 1954. Julia Moore had traveled by bus from St. Louis, Missouri, and decided to stay at the Cecil Hotel. She stepped out of her eighth-story window on February 11th, 1962. And on October 12th, 1962, Pauline Otten jumped from her ninth-floor room after arguing with her estranged husband. He left for some dinner, and she jumped. Unfortunately, George Giannini was taking a stroll right outside the hotel, and when Pauline fell, she landed on top of him, killing him instantly. Isn't it weird that all three of them were female that jumped? You know, first of all, when you have this many suicides taking place anywhere, it makes you go, what's the deal? It was. It reminds me of that place. Was it in Chattanooga? It was in Chattanooga where there was the like lawyers, nine, yeah. eight or nine suicides from one room. It just makes you think, is there something in there either pushing, talking to, convincing? Of course... When you're talking about somebody who had an argument with her estranged husband and then she goes flying out of a window, had he really gone for dinner already? <laughs> or was she helped out the window? Exactly, because they didn't have all the testing that we do now to be able to prove the angle she was pushed from or that she jumped from, quote, unquote. Exactly. And then you've got this poor guy who's just minding his own business walking underneath. And at first the police thought maybe it was a double suicide until they realized he had his hands in his pocket and his shoes on. And apparently the length of the fall would have caused his shoes to come off. And obviously his hands wouldn't have been in his pocket. So then they realized he had been walking underneath. And then there's a story of Canadian Elisa Lamb. Elisa had stopped at the Cecil Hotel on her way to Santa Cruz. She went missing. The only clue about what may have happened to her was seen in a closed caption TV video, which we do have posted on the History Goes Bump blog. So if you want to go take a look at that. But in the video, Elisa seems to be acting oddly, as if she's afraid of something, almost as though she were being pursued. She moves her arms in odd ways and steps on and off the elevator. The elevator never closes its doors or moves while she is in the camera's view. After patrons complained of ill-tasting water and low water pressure, a hotel worker discovered Elisa's body in the water tower. The rooftop is locked, so no one knows how she got there or if she somehow entered the water tower herself and drowned. No drugs were found in her body. To this day, Denise, it's just been ruled an accidental drowning, and people wonder if she was having some kind of a psychotic episode based on the way she was acting, but I don't know. I mean, she obviously wasn't taking any drugs for being psychotic. Since there was none found in her, she wasn't having a reaction to drugs, again, since there was none found in her. And how does she get up to the water tower, which was a locked area? Exactly, and I believe even the water tower itself, it was pretty complicated to try to get into it. So, I don't know, this is one heck of a mystery of what happened to this young lady. I remember when this story was reported, because the first thing that hit my mind is, ew, those people were using that water for, because she was missing for a couple of months, I believe. At least for weeks, they were drinking and using that water. Who knows what happened to her, but again, it just ends to the mystery 
of this building and like there's just some kind of dark energy there. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing it and getting a picture of it, but I will not be checking into the Cecil Hotel. (laughs) No. This incredible history has left many to claim that the hotel is cursed and, of course, haunted. Photos have captured ghostly images at the hotel. One such photo was taken from outside of a fourth-story window. This was a young man who took it on his iPhone, and he said that he had a creepy feeling and just felt compelled to take a picture of that window. He claimed that he started having nightmares after taking the picture. We do have that picture up in the show notes as well. You guys have a look for yourselves. See what you think. Obviously, since this was taken off of an iPhone, the picture's not high quality. It is pixelated. He looks like he tried to zoom in on the area, which pixelates something even more. Mm. So, Denise, again, it's one of these pictures where I'm like, can't we just have a clear picture because when you have all the pixelation I have to wonder if it's just a color anomaly but it does look as though there is a person hanging outside of the window almost with their arms raised as if they were going to jump or maybe somebody who's standing on a ledge getting ready to jump I'm not sure but you could see how somebody might think there's something there but I am not overwhelmingly convinced And, of course, our listeners notice how she says, can't we just get clear pictures? And guess who she sends to take the pictures when we're on ghost tours? (laughs) Just saying. Go over there. Make sure it's clear, Denise. (laughs) Make sure it's a clear picture and go over there away from the group where the ghost might be and, you know, let something jump out at you. That'd be awesome. But, hey, you've only ever captured one thing, and we didn't see it until later when we got on the bus, and it was just a weird-looking blue neon light light in the middle of a graveyard. So, yeah. Doors in the hotel open and close on their own, as do the elevator doors. And that's another thing that is weird about that video featuring Elisa Lamb is the way the elevator functions. Now, she does go in and push all the buttons, which I don't know, might overload an older elevator. But it's just weird because she she doesn't like you never see the doors attempt to close while she's kind of going in and out and sticking her head out and looking around the corner as if, like you said, it seems like somebody's pursuing her and she's checking. Are they coming? Generally, when you get in an elevator, the doors start to close and you can, you know, bump them and make them open again or you can hit the button to hold the doors open. But she's not doing that. And the doors never attempt to close. The only time they close is after she's gotten out of it and been out of it for a while. And then it doesn't look like the elevator moves at all. It just stays there because all the lights are still lit up on the panel. And then it opens again. So it makes you wonder if the elevator was having some kind of paranormal activity going on. Right. Especially with the lights and the energy and the electricity. Or was there something that was keeping the doors open that we can't see? Exactly. Many people who stay here claim to feel an oppressive pressure. Chairs and furniture are moved. Employees report sounds, particularly of doors, when no one is in the area. Guests in one room claim that they feel as though they are getting strangled. None of them stay for the entire night. BioChannel's reality paranormal show, Haunted Encounters, face-to-face, visited the Hotel Cecil in 2012. A psychic for the paranormal group felt something in the hotel and saw movement against a far wall in the basement. Her hair was pulled. A guy in the group was hit several times, and the batteries for his camera were thrown to the floor. One woman related her father's haunting tale from his stay at the CISA Hotel on her blog, MemoriesProject.com. And what was neat about this story, Denise, is that she was basically just trying to trace her family history on Ancestry.com. 
And she just noticed that her dad had stayed at this place. So she wanted to check out since he had spent so much time living there. What was this place? And when she looked into it, she was like, oh, my God, this place is creepy. Mm -hmm. So she wrote, quote, which leads right into my dad's haunted hotel experience. Every time he told the story, I could feel the fear come off of him in waves, even after so much time had passed. He claims he went to sleep that night in his room only to awaken to the feeling that he was being choked. He was bathed in a cold sweat and couldn't move or call for help. He literally thought he was going to die in that room. Finally, the feeling left him. He bolted out of the room and went downstairs to the hotel clerk on overnight duty. After he gasped for breath, he told the clerk what had happened. The clerk said that, in fact, someone had been murdered in that room. I believe Dad was able to get his room changed as he made it clear he would never sleep another moment in that room. End quote. And as we mentioned earlier, there is a particular room. I don't know if it's this one where people do feel as though they're being strangled. Yeah, because, you know, it could be that kind of his symptoms, too. I wonder if he was having a mild heart attack, but only medical would know that because we have to have the skeptic side of it. That's true, too. It could have been some health anomaly. Absolutely. But is there a reason why so much death has happened here? Is the building cursed for some reason? Are people compelled to commit suicide or murder when they stay at the hotel? Is this just a typical Skid Row flop house? Is the Cecil Hotel haunted? That, my friends, is for you to decide. Yeah, I don't think we'll be staying there, Denise. Thank you, because I would prefer, if we're that close to L.A., I'm staying at near Disneyland. Yahoo! Well, you know how I am. I'm kind of a germaphobe, so there's no way I'm staying in a place where i got to share bathrooms with other people and that could be a flea bag. Nope, and again, we would be farther away from Disneyland. <laughs> exactly. If it's that far from Disneyland, forget it. I don't actually know what we'd want to even do in downtown Los Angeles. So No, because we've already seen the Groman's, um Chinese Theater, the walk, you know, the all the stars with their handprints. Yeah, and I mean, that's Hollywood, so that's not yeah. even Los Angeles. Right. So... Well, our next show, we're going to be staying in the California area, Denise. We're going to jail. All right. So what jail do you think we might be looking at in California? Is it in Northern California? That it is. Is it on an island? Yes. Could it possibly be Alcatraz? Ding, 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 ding. You win. I'm not just another pretty face. <laughs> oh, that I definitely am not. <laughs> oh, please. Shush. Yes, we are going to Alcatraz on the next show. So hope you guys can join us for that. We're so glad you joined us for this one. Thanks so much for all of your support. You know, we greatly appreciate it and appreciate you guys. We love our listeners. Yes, we do. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page.